three-way moviegasm. Welcome to the podcast, Three-Way Moviegasm. Um, my name is Sasha Stone of AwardsDaily.com. And I'm Ryan Adams, Awards Daily Sidekick. And I'm Craig Kennedy of LivingInCinema.com. So this week on our podcast, we're going to talk about uh, a few things. We're going to talk about the idea of, a, of the Best Picture frontrunner and what that means. Um, basically referring to a New York Times article that was um, published today about floating the idea of Toy Story 3 being a strong and you know, of Toy Story 3 being a strong best picture contender. But we all thought the article was very suspect. So we want to discuss that. And just the general idea of a front runner. What does that mean when when a film becomes a front runner sort of early in the year? We're going to talk about whether or not Toy Story 3 uh, can win best picture, becoming the first animated film to do so. And then we're going to switch gears and talk about Winter's Bone and True Grit, specifically the similarities, if there are any, between Maddie and Ree, the two main female characters in the film. We're also going to talk about the. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, this being the year of of great documentaries, and we're going to touch a little bit on any of the documentaries we might have seen that we think are really really good. I just watched Client Nine, which I think is superb, and Inside Job, but we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to give you some movie recommendations for the weekend, and we're going to talk about. Um, Secretariat and the big critic dust up and finally talk about conviction with Hillary Swank and Sam Rockwell. First thing we're going to talk about is how the social network suddenly became the de facto front runner, which is exactly the place you don't want your film to be in heading into the Oscar season. In the past five years, the front runner is usually the film that that just barely misses and another film which is kind of flying under the radar and considered an underdog is usually the one that wins. Um, the only reason the social network is being thought of as a best, the strong best picture contender is because it's such a good movie, because it got such great reviews and people are excited about it and it's timely. But, you know, the moment it became the front runner, people started kind of coming out of the woodwork and attacking it. Usually this is reserved for rival studios that want to take down a, um, the front runner to push forward their own film. But a lot of these attacks seem to be coming from different... Um, different viewpoints like namely people on the web a lot of um, people who are in web development and who've been on the internet for many years they have a problem with it Asian women have a problem with it uh, some women have come forward and said they thought it was sexist and you know New York Times story where Michael Sipley talks about um, how Disney is going to put all of their might behind Toy Story 3 and maybe Secretariat but the the whole point of the article seemed to be to float the idea that it is possible that Toy Story 3 could actually win. Um, The thing that troubled me about the New York Times article is that the only real newsy item in it was the fact that that Disney plans on making a big push for Toy Story 3 as a best picture candidate. Um, I'm not really sure how newsy that is, but that's the only real thing they had to hang their hats on. And it turned into this big um, speculation piece about how Social Network was the front runner, and now it's not because it only made a certain amount at the box office. And it- and, and the other thing it talked about was how um, they, they managed to mention only two films to compare it to, and both of those films, Up in the Air and Dreamgirls, neither one won Best Picture, which is odd because they named the, the Oscar strategist or publicist behind the film as being Cynthia Schwartz, who's the head of 42 West, and she ushered in both No Country for Old Men and The Hurt Locker. Um, so I don't know where they're getting this, you know, Dreamgirls is the only movie that we can compare it to stuff, which is just so off base. It's, it's like, you know. Well, another odd thing about that comparison is that last year this time and the year when, when Dreamgirls was nominated also, when Dreamgirls and Up in the Air were front runners, nobody had seen them and nobody would see them until December. And what's different this year is everybody has seen the social network and maybe that's why the backlash seems to be stronger because there are more people who feel like they've got ammunition. I think that's exactly right. Um, Dreamgirls was already being touted as a Best Picture winner before anyone ever even saw it. 
And that's kind of what's happening with the Coen brothers' True Grit, which is what worries me a little bit, um, especially as I kind of dive into the screenplay and I see that, well, maybe it's going to be a lot more subtle than just a hit hit you over the head with it, um, you know, Academy tearjerker. I think it's going to be a lot more subtle and interesting given that it's the Coens, you know. But people keep setting it up like it's going to be the big Best Picture winner. And um, I don't think it mentioned it's mentioned in the New York Times piece. Basically, the New York Times piece says these two Oscar sites and names two Oscar sites um, are saying that it's going to be between the social network and the King's speech, which, you know, is also like, you know, last week's news. Now people are more, you know, or less speculating about um, True Grit and maybe the fighter than they are even the King's speech. So but they're all kind of in the mix. It's just that. What that article reminded me of is that if you're a strong enough publicist and you have the right connections, you really can float just about any idea out there, you know, and, and most of the time people aren't even going to notice that that's what's going on. I think True Grit does have an advantage in that it will be pure entertainment. It might be deep and it might be, and it might be um, meditative, but it's going to be really good entertainment too. It's going to be a crowd pleaser. I have a really good feeling about that. I have a real issue with this whole idea of a front runner in September or October, um, particularly when nobody has seen half of the movies yet. Um, and, and I think even um, the eventual Oscar voters have probably seen even less than what some of the supposed experts have seen. Um, to me, it seems like there's uh, there's a dividing line between the Oscar buzz and the actual Oscar voters. And I'm not really convinced how how closely the two are aligned at this stage in the game. I mean, to say that there's a front runner, that just says at this point that one film is getting more buzz than another, but that doesn't necessarily translate into votes when the time comes right down to it. Exactly. All that means is that, you know, 10 different websites have sort of put the social network high on their list of films that might win Best Picture. And that gets somehow translated into that it's actually Oscar buzz when it's not really Oscar buzz because Oscar buzz is what the Academy thinks, not what journalists and bloggers think, you know. Um, and it's gotten very distorted in the past few years. And I have to admit being sort of culpable and, you know, having a kind of participation in turning it into the circus that it is. I definitely have been part of it. Um, just by examining the race and turning it into a contest, um, the competition becomes so ridiculous and absurd that at some point it doesn't even feel like you're talking about movies anymore, but that you're talking about political candidates. What, you know, what campaign is going to be run the best, the most squeaky clean, you know, um, when the Hurt Locker... To be fair, I don't think that we do. Sorry. I was just going to say, ahead. no, it's okay. I shouldn't just drone on and on, but I'll just make this last point. Uh, last year, the Hurt Locker wasn't the front runner for most of the year because everybody assumed it wouldn't, it hadn't, didn't make enough money to win. Um, they thought maybe Catherine Bigelow would win Best Director. And that's the thing with, just as an aside, if you really want to find out who's going to win Best, what's going to win Best Picture, watch the director race, because that's usually what will tell you who's going to win, what's going to win Best Picture. Whenever that happens, you know, I always think, okay, well, I don't know, understand why people don't see that this is going to be the Best Picture winner. But you have to be quiet about it because you don't want people to think it's the front runner, because as soon as they think it's the front runner, it starts getting attacked which is exactly what happened to Hurt Locker when it became so powerful. People got really scared. The rival studios started flipping out, and then they had to start finding things about the movie that they could somehow taint it with, you know? Like that ridiculous email controversy from the producer? The email controversy and the fact that it wasn't so-called accurate about the war. They'll, they'll bring up anything they can to knock it down, which shows you that the Oscar race isn't so much about the movie. It's about the perception of the movie, how you feel when you're voting for it. Um, although, on the other hand, there is sort of a philosophy that says, no, that's not true. All that's hot air. When it comes down to it, it's just between the person watching the movie and the movie. And that's all that really matters, you know. And that's why I think movies like um, Slumdog Millionaire and, you know, various films that, like, people really just liked and it didn't have much to do with the chatter uh, can win. That's why I don't think that you should feel culpable in, 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 try, in making it a contest because you say yourself that you're aware of the fact that you need to play the cards close to the vest at this time of year and you know when to be quiet about a movie. I don't think that Awards Daily is guilty of the contest mentality too much. I try not to be. At the same time, Sasha, do you find that, the, that 
the landscape has completely changed from the way it was when you first started Oscar Watch 10 or so years ago. It seems like um, back then you were more of an observer and now more often than not, it seems like you and, and the other um, prominent award sites end up almost being participants in the whole process rather than just people recording what's happening. Absolutely. The, and I, I look at it like we're, we're the same as like a, a website like Firedog Lake, which sort of tries to keep the po- the political races sort of on the right topic. Because when I first started um, Oscar Watch, before it became Awards Daily, because I got sued by the Academy, um, I started the site just as to be an objective observer of the race. Because I was sort of interested in this idea that how is it that a film like Citizen Kane lost Best Picture to How Green Was My Valley? That was really the main question that drove me to put up a site. I wanted to watch the Oscar race from start to finish. I wanted to find out why everybody complains about their choices. You know, what is it about the Academy that they don't pick the right films, you know? And, but what happened was I got contacted by publicists who wanted me to, to, you know, um, early on I was contacted by publicists and mainly, uh, they want you to promote their films. They want you to get involved in the race, you know? And even if you try not to get involved, stuff you write, stuff you cover, it does shape perception, whether you like it or not. You know, it just does. And also, as my site became more popular, Oscar sites bloomed on the web to the point where there were like, I don't know. I mean, how many are there now? There are so many. When I started, there was only one and my and Tom O'Neill site. We were two, and that was it. And um, the more competitive the sites got, the more... Um, the more uh, kind of debating over what film deserves to win Best Picture started to become stronger and stronger. And, you know, you can't sit back and watch. Just, just You can't just report on something that you see going on when what you see going on is unfair, you know. So, I mean, I remember them trying to smear A Beautiful Mind. And um, that was, you know, way back when that movie was up and the hurricane and all these other movies. You, you wouldn't believe the smears that I've seen. And before blogs came along, they had whisper campaigns. And a movie like, um, you know, The Shakespeare in Love and Saving Private Ryan, that was supposedly a whisper campaign. It's very hard to sit objectively on the sidelines um, and watch, you know, studios and publicists try to convince people that you know, this movie is an okay choice for best picture. I mean, to me, it's just really hard to watch that. The fact that you're involved, though, that's why people read the site. That's why exactly. people read the movie sites. And and if you weren't involved, they 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 wouldn't uh, feel involved themselves. But that's what makes the New York Times article today a little bit dubious is because who do they interview? They interview bloggers. They interview movie writers who really don't have as much effect maybe as we wish we did or we actually do have they don't interview they don't get a counter opinion like if they had called me i would have given them exactly the opposite of what chris tapley who was interviewed in the piece said exactly the opposite reading do you think um in the in the competitive blog atmosphere do you think that just um makes the publicist's job easier it seems to me that they can with with the, with the competition to have scoops and news and insider information it, it makes it all too easy for a publicist to drop something in somebody's lap and it and it, it it's automatically reported without a lot of checking and because people wanted to get it up quickly and and be the first one mm-hmm. um do you, do you think the competitive atmosphere adds to that um i think that how i reconcile that in my mind is that i'm not a journalist and so i don't have to really uh, go by the, the ethics of journalism. Um, but that's how I resolve it in my mind. Believe me, if they treated me like a journalist, I might act like a journalist. But, you know, <laughs> nobody is lower on the food chain than the bloggers. So, I mean, we're, we're like, you know, the coyotes roaming the, the landscape for the bones and chewing off the meat on the bones. That's how low on the food chain we are, you know. Um, but there was a time when that New York Times article wouldn't even have called Chris Tapley for an interview. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a a change that they're now looking to the blogs as sort of an authority on the Oscar race. That's very different than it was when I started, where you had to be a journalist for anyone to take you seriously for any reason. 
and getting a quote in a magazine was a really big deal. You know, the only times I ever got written about was when people would write about how lame the blogs are, you know. Um, I think it, I think it's safe to say there's probably a time when that article in the New York Times wouldn't have even been an article in the New York Times. Right. Uh, that, that newspaper used to be more concerned with things that were actually news. Exactly. Um, I don't know why there's so much focus on the Oscar race, but because it's like there is no news really happening in the Oscar race because it's only October. We still have November, December. The thing is, is as we close in on October, we're going to get starting to get into the territory of Golden Globe nominations and National Board of Review and all those early awards that often dictate how the Academy votes. So that's why there's so much heat right now. And that's why you can tell the social network is such a huge threat because there's a lot of, well, there are a lot of forces working, trying to work against it. And that's the kind of thing that always Ryan can back me up on this that always bothers me is when they pile on you know even if it is a movie that isn't my favorite of of the year if i see that kind of stuff happening i automatically want to stand up for the movie you know um okay so that's enough about me why are we talking about me anyway (laughs) i think your perspective from my point of view is the most interesting on it i just tried to lobby questions because i'm not an expert what i what i told ryan once was as i'm trying to you know, kind of teach him or whatever about how it is that that I run my site. You know, it is somewhere between journalism and and, um, advocating. It's like it's cheerleading. It's not strictly journalism, obviously, but it's not just straight publicity. You know, that what, you know, your feelings are involved in the choices that you make, not just things like money and power and whatever else. You know, it's access. You know, a lot of people are in this just for the access to the parties and the screeners and you know, um, I try to have as much integrity as I possibly can within the confines of my, you know, silly job description. But it, you know, it, it's not. Well, like, a blog is like an editorial column. A blog is not a news column; it's an editorial column, and, that, and people are, are are hooked on regular columnists and editorials the same way they are on certain websites. And so, an editorial has to have an opinion. News is not supposed to have an opinion. Right. Right, and there was a time when. Um, cheerleading for a movie didn't do any good like most of the time I spent online the films that I was backing did not win best picture so it was like Moulin Rouge and you know Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon and Brokeback Mountain um, The Aviator you know it's only been recently that the films that I support happen to be winning best picture it's a very unusual place to be because I'm usually the one saying oh come on give me a break you know that's going to be the best picture and so I think that the advocating kind of evolved out of that um, because right before Halle Berry and uh, Denzel Washington won, like I was doing story after story about how racist the Academy was, and nobody else was doing these stories, and how no black woman had ever won um, Best Actress. And if you if you start getting that stuff out there, eventually it trickles down to the right places where people will read that stuff. You know, there wasn't this kind of twenty four hour news cycle that's happening right now. I mean, I find I don't know about you guys, but I find the appetite for news to be, you know, almost impossible to meet. People are looking for the new thing every minute of the day, you know. Okay, so switching gears, it's time to talk about box office, which are now saying that it's going to be a three-way race between Secretariat and Social Network and and um, that horrible Katherine Heigl movie. You know? uh-huh. What is so, the name of that? Something about... Life as we know it. Life as we know it. looks terrible. But I pretty much automatically discount anything that has Katherine Heigl in it. I don't know what it is about her. She just rubs me the wrong way. Me too. Me too. I don't know why either. That's sad She's for like her. This, this low wattage TV celebrity that they keep cramming into these <laughs> awful looking romantic comedies. <laughs> low wattage. Jennifer yeah, Aniston can't do all of those movies. Somebody has to pick up the slack for the movies Jennifer Aniston can't do. Yeah. Well, I swear to God, one day they're going to put her in a movie with Bradley Cooper and the world is just going to combust into a black hole of lack of charisma. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I mean, not to be mean or anything, but God, how do you do much worse than who they've got in that in that Katherine Heigl movie? Katherine Heigl and Josh Dumel, two people that, like, you know, you couldn't pay me to go watch in a movie about exactly 
them getting stuck with a baby. I mean, how cliche is that? It's always the poop joke, you know? It's always the poop and pee joke. Like, that's the hardest thing you're ever going to have to confront if you have a kid, you know? It's like, to me, it's like the one joke they always use. And I always think, at the, you know, oh, God, they just, they must have never raised a baby if they're, if that's the one thing that they think is the hardest. Oh, he no peed. No kidding. You know, like, oh, he peed in your eye or whatever. It's <laughs> <laughs> really stupid. The timeless comedy of baby poo. <laughs> it's, it's a genre unto itself. There are people dying to see that kind of thing, but the only way they can really get away with it without getting an N17 rating is to have it with a baby. To have a baby, <laughs> I know. And it's like countdown to when they fall in love, have sex, and, you know, have... and decide that they're a happy family you can see the whole movie play out um and if it's a good actor and a good actress you don't mind sitting there and watching it you know but with them god it's so horrible to sit here and just berate them you know they're just trying to <laughs> earn a buck <laughs> that's right well we shouldn't talk about the movies that we hate let's talk about the movies that we that we respect yeah let's talk about the movies that we recommend people to see this weekend so if you were going to recommend to your friends what would you say to go see i mean let's say we don't even have to say the social network because we already said that but uh, honestly i would say please go see let me in while you still have a chance even though i think um you know it's a futile request and people will be going to see secretariat and it'll be fine with me too but um i would really rec i would really plead with plead with people to go see let me in because mm. it deserves a bigger box office than it's getting. Yeah, how about you, Craig? What would you suggest people to go see? <clears throat> um, I know that you weren't a, a fan of it, but I, I enjoyed Tamara Drew. It wasn't perfect, but um, good performances and um, entertaining. Hmm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a, for a rousing <laughs> inducement to see a movie? No, you were fine, Craig. I was just—it was Sasha's. Hmm, <laughs> that I was laughing at. Well, I, well I, didn't 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 Sasha walk out of it? I did. It's the only movie I walked out of at Cannes, in the Cannes Film Festival, and it was so weird and embarrassing because, like, the movie's about a girl who gets a nose job and becomes really pretty and comes back to her town and kind of wreaks havoc, and that's sort of funny. Like, she gets a revenge out of it, but it would have been funnier to me if she, it hadn't been gotten at. at um, at the hand of a plastic surgeon, you know, um, as a person who's grown up with a rather prominent nose myself and had to sort of, you know, kind of reconcile that my whole life, especially early when I wanted to be an actor, you know, and my mom's always saying to me, you know, you really should have just gotten a nose job. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but well, like, you know, the, the oh. thing about it is that it, it actually turns out to not really be her movie as much. She's sort of the catalyst for all of the chaos that happens, but the nose job that she gets doesn't fix some personality flaws that she has, and you actually sort of end up losing sympathy for her about maybe a little more than halfway through the movie just based on her behavior. Hmm. It, kind of be it kind of becomes more about the wife of the blowhard author who's running that cheesy writer's commune. Oh, God. Flashbacks. And, and um, <laughs> it... it it, it it's weird because it starts out kind of light and funny and then takes this dramatic turn near the end that I don't I don't think you quite got the gear shift right between the light comedy and the and the oh, well, borderline tragedy that made it it made it interesting but odd. Can you just sort of hint at it without giving it away so I sort of know what you mean by that? I mean that just teaches you never to walk out of a movie because who knew there was that coming at the end, you know? I didn't. Um there's a couple of deaths involving one of the main characters. Oh, not her, I hope. No. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I can kind of guess. But, oh, does, <clears throat> yeah, I don't want to guess because I don't want to spoil it. Anyway, so what I can say about that movie is people should go see it because it's actually really pretty to look at. The setting um, is gorgeous and the house and the bar, everything about it is pretty, you know. And the stuff with the rocker I thought was kind of funny. Dominic Cooper was great as the um, handsome rock star boyfriend. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Tamsin Gregg was great as the kind of put upon wife of the blowhard author. He cheats on her constantly yeah. and she kind of puts up with it. Um, but it kind of turns out that she's, she's sort of the talent behind the whole writing success. She's kind of a, 
she's kind of like the perfect editor. She's she's got the the brain or the the she's got the mindset of a writer, but she doesn't have the ego to actually do it. But mm. she knows what makes good writing, and so she's able to kind of fix up her husband's stuff and make him better than what he probably really is. Right, right. And so he knows he needs her, which is always the dilemma of men or, or women, I guess, isn't it? It's like the marriage serves so many great purposes except giving you a variation in your in your sex life. Um, right. I, I don't know if you watched the Elliot Spitzer documentary yet, Ryan. But... I'm so lost. This movie does nothing, is nothing like I, I thought it was going to be like. And the way you're describing it, I didn't get any of this from the previews or the clips that I saw. Oh, you're talking about Tamara so... Drew? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had no idea it had anything to do with the nose job or any of that. So. Oh, well, that's just the setup. Like, it's, okay. Yeah, it's just she's because it's, it's Gemma Anderton, you know, one of the prettiest women ever. Mm-hmm. And she... She grew up as a really, uh, you know, as an ugly duckling teased by everybody. And she's a little bit psycho, right, Craig? Like, even underneath it all, she's very beautiful, but she still has, like, the psycho girl underneath her. Um, yeah, she's still, she's still still got issues from growing up kind of a homely kid. Yeah. Which is sort of what makes it interesting, yeah. ultimately. But, I mean, let's, let's be honest. People are going to go see the movie to see her in it. You know, it's not really... Um, and so that's fine if that's what people want. But I think it does explore that idea of the wife versus the mistress and all that, you know. Um, speaking of which, did, did, did anybody watch the Elliot Spitzer documentary besides me? I haven't I haven't seen it, but you saw it, correct? Yeah. Ryan? I saw the first half of it. Oh, you did? I yeah. didn't finish it. I didn't get to watch the end because the thing that I had to watch it on, the streaming thing, mm-hmm. it kept cutting off. And every time I would try to, to watch it again, it would start back at the beginning of part two so i didn't finish it but i don't know um what did you think about the fact that they had an actress playing um the one mistress because she didn't want to go on camera it was so weird like they say we could you know she talked to us but she would only do it under condition of anonymity that we didn't say her name we didn't showcase her voice and we didn't show her picture so we hired this actress to play her and this Mm -hmm. woman comes on and she's this beautiful blonde girl you know She's but very it, pretty, but she cannot act. That's one problem with it. Maybe if they got Sasha Gray to do it, it might have been a better idea. But I don't um, know. It just get, it struck me as very strange that they were even having her try to act at all. Like she was trying right, to act right. as if she was in scene study class, mm-hmm. you know, like in an acting class. And I thought it was just really unnerving and strange. So I was trying to listen to her and focus on what she was saying, which was interesting. But I was so distracted by the fact that this girl was acting, you know. <laughs> Yeah, reenactments and documentaries are okay if they're reenacting something that is sort of uh, active, but reenacting an interview that didn't ever took place is a strange thing. I know. Of all the things I would like to see reenacted of the Spitzer affair, that's not <laughs> at in mind. I was surprised, though, that the woman, I was surprised to find out that the woman, Ashley is her name, right? Yeah. That yeah. Ashley was, um, uh, that he only saw her one time. And she made such a big deal about it, and she really tried to capitalize on the fame of it, even though the movie is so clearly taking Spitzer's side, so they really want her to look bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it is an interesting examination of that, uh, that phenomenon of, a, of a, you know, the, the whole a man being married for so long and having his marriage serve his purposes for what he needs, just like in Tamara Drew. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the I wife... I wanted to ask you, because you've seen Inside Job too, right? Yeah. How do they compare, would you say, as far as message and quality? It's funny you should bring up Inside Job because since we were going around recommending movies, that's the one I recommend people go see is Inside Job. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's probably the best documentary I've seen this year, although I have not seen Waiting for Superman yet. But um, Inside Job is just, it just, you know, puts the wooden stake right through the heart of Wall Street. I think it really will kind of bring, if people go to see it, it'll, it'll explain the Wall Street um, collapse in a, in, a, in a way that anybody can understand, even as, you know, an idiot like me. I don't know anything about the financial district, mm-hmm. but, but the movie explains it pretty well. I mean, I think... Well, that's you- what I liked about Client Nine because um, the, I was really getting into the expose part of the Wall Street fiasco, and then they would cut away back to the sex part, and it's like, oh, no, not again. That's the thing is I I was under the impression that the Spitzer doc had a lot to do with his role in trying to put the screws to these Wall Street types, but then the the hooker eruptions kind of got in the way of that. Mm -hmm. And I 
I was hoping that the documentary would be more about the financial crisis and less about his personal life. It sounds like there's a fair amount about his personal life in it. <clears throat> yeah, it's mostly about... Um, see, I, I get the feeling that Elliot Spitzer was kind of brought down before the whole Wall Street thing happened. Um, but he was on the trail of those guys, and he would have hunted <laughs> them down, and he was fearless. I just don't understand the mentality of a politician who is doing such good for society and decides to do something like this. I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit there and judge people and say he shouldn't go to hookers if he's horny, you know, fine, no. whatever. But if you're a government official and you're, you're trying to promote um, the law, you know, you're, you're trying to uphold the law and, t and tell people to uphold the law and you're trying to bust criminals, you can't right. be a criminal yourself. It still is illegal. Or at least wait four years, right? Wait until you're out of office. Yeah. Wayne, it was the dumbest thing. I mean, he was addicted. He could not stop. Mm. You know, and we could have a separate conversation about that because, you know. What was unusual, I thought, about Claim 39 is the way that they juxtaposed the two, the two sides of what was going on in his life. It was almost as if they, they weren't saying so, but it was almost implied that um, some sort of retribution or some sort of, like, it reminded me of the line in, in the social network where they said you had better have a squeaky, a squeaky clean life. If you don't have a squeaky clean life, they'll find something to bring you down But if you get in the way of their business. Right. And that's, that's almost like what I thought that they were trying to say. I know that they wouldn't come out and say that because, like you said, the chronology was wrong. Well, it it's the, yeah, and it's the same with John Edwards. You know, it's sort of like, why in the world would John Edwards have, you know, gambled away our future that way by having that kind of affair? I mean, it's one thing to have gotten her pregnant and all that, but then to have lied about it. I mean, what, what an idiot. The kid looks just like him. You know, it was like right. he was going to get caught. And same with Elliot Spitzer. So um, it baffles me as to why. He, and in fact, it was really strange because after I watched the movie, I saw that he's hosting a show on CNN. And it's almost like I wanted, I, I, I was so much more on Elliot Spitzer's side before I saw Client 9. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's supposed to do the opposite, but after watching it, I just felt so much rage at him for doing something that stupid, you know. And the guys who caught him, he walked right into their trap. He was definitely trapped by his enemies, and it was really easy to trap him. So, um, you know, that's how it goes. I don't know what he's doing now. I don't even know if he's still married or what, but... And how about Ashley? What is she doing now? She really turned this into um, a career opportunity, didn't she? Yeah, she did. She absolutely did. You know, She hired she... lawyers and managers and everybody to... And she would, right yeah, she would, she would never say that she, um, um, she would never say that they only met each other once. She wasn't really his favorite. His favorite was, was that woman who the actress played mm -hmm. and she protected him until the very end, you know? Um, but it was a very strange documentary <laughs> and it was much more about the sex and the prostitution ring than it was about all the wall street stuff. As far as I could tell. I mean, I didn't watch it all the way to the end, so maybe I shouldn't be blabbing about it, but I'll have to finish that it. Might, that, that will get people to watch it. That'll get people in the theater, maybe. If they um, only knew. I don't think they're advertising it that way, but if they only knew, they'd get to see, you know, all these hookers and everything. I'm sure they would <laughs> <laughs> They would want to see it. But, um, so, yeah, I would definitely recommend Inside Job to see. Does it explain it? the crisis well enough so that even people who think the whole thing's Obama's fault um, can understand it? Well, it kind of skewers poor Obama in it because well, what Obama did was he ended up firing the guy who was named um, as, as a major player in the, um, in the movie. So he's fired now. So if anybody sees Inside Job, they're not going to be able to say, oh, Obama. But what it does show at the end is it shows that Obama lined his administration with all these same assholes right. who right. Um, you know, <clears throat> committed all these crimes, and they should have been prosecuted. They, the last thing they should have been given is a job with the president, you know? Um, so I don't know. It's, it's not pro, really pro-Obama, but it pretty much skewers everybody. Bush, you know, the one thing it does that I think is just remarkable is that it it showed kind of the same way an inconvenient truth showed you kind of in picture language what global warming was doing, like with charts and everything. Mm -hmm. This does that with with how there's been a concerted effort to kind of focus all the wealth to the top one percent over the last 
decade or so, especially mm -hmm. since the Bush administration. And that's the one thing it shows. That's the one thing people should really be aware of is how that's happened. And it just got worse with the, um, oh, what are those called? Those, um, you know, those loans, those, those, uh, the mortgages. What were those things called? Credit default swaps. Credit default swaps. <laughs> Credit default swaps. So it just showed how that just, you know, made it worse and dug a hole and, and how the guys knew that that was going to happen going into it. And they just, went ahead and did it because they knew they would make so much more, more money that way. And other people were, you know, people's lives were ruined. They were going into losing their house, losing their homes. They were all becoming homeless also that these wall street assholes could make a buck. I mean, it was really criminal. I'm surprised nobody went to jail after that. I mean, they're going after Bill Clinton for, you know, splooging on some girl's dress in the oval office and they won't go after these guys. Exactly. That's that. Makes me so mad. I can't, can't really even talk about it. I'll go off on a rant and you won't be able to shut me up for 30 minutes if I get on the subject. It really infuriates me. These distractions that the media creates that people focus on for two weeks at a time and it keeps their mind off the really important stuff. Right. Like, you know, whatever the scandal du jour, Lindsay Lohan. Mm -hmm. Please tell me how knowing about Lindsay Lohan is important in our lives. Nobody can answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've done movies recommended. Um, do you want to talk about Secretariat? The sure. whole Ebert thing mm -hmm. or anything? Anybody want to talk about that? Both of you guys? I don't have much to say about it, but I would love to hear what you two think about the movie and what your take on the Ebert O'Hare controversy is. Yeah. Well, let's explain to the to the listeners um, if we have any still. Um, are you guys awake out there? Tap, tap. Is this thing on? <laughs> um, I've always wanted this, this to do is, that. That's where you insert the sound of crickets chirping. <laughs> exactly. Um, Have you got that sound effect for me yet? I'm going to need that here soon. <laughs> <clears throat> um, Secretariat comes out. Secretariat was sort of based on a book by William Knack, which William Knack happened to be Ebert's really, really good friend. He's a Newsweek. I think he's a Newsweek reporter or Newsday. Um one of those two and he wrote a beautiful story on secretariat for sports illustrated which will make you cry if you read it and if you want to go find it you can certainly find it on google if you search um so of course everybody knew ebert was going to give the film a rave um which he did and but andrew o'hare o'hare wrote his review separate did probably didn't even look at ebert's thing but he he really let it fly, you know. He he called uh, Secretariat a Nietzschean Uber horse, and he <laughs> said that <laughs> I know it was really funny. And he said that, um, you know, it was it was basically Tea Party propaganda, the whole thing. Um, you know, kind of this this idea that we were going to return America back to the its glory days of you know when the white people were in charge and um, the white the super race. He said, right? The super race, yeah. Master race. I'm sorry, master race. Master race. Even worse because of the implications are the master race. Oh my gosh, he was just off. He was a lunatic. I couldn't. You know, when you first when you first put that on the side, I thought that it must be a favorable review, or you we wouldn't be featuring it. And and it was just so crazy. I thought, what is this doing on even on the site? And then I realized it was to poke holes in it. Yeah, here I'll, I'll read you a a paragraph. Although the troubling racial subtext is more deeply buried here than in the blind side, where it's more like text, period, Secretariat actually goes much further, presenting a honey-dipped fantasy vision of the American past as the Tea Party would like to imagine it, loaded with uplift and glory and scrubbed clean of multiculturalism and social discord. In the world of this movie, strong-willed and independent-minded women like Chenery are ladies first. She's like a classed-up version of Sarah Palin feminism, left-wing activism in an endearing, cute phase your kids go through until they learn the hard truth about inheritance taxes, and all right-thinking Americans are united in their adoration of a Nietzschean uber-horse, a hero so superhuman he isn't human at all. <laughs> That's what he wrote. Ouch. I think it's unfair. I think he's using the movie as a way to rant against the Tea Party, and I don't blame him. I hate the Tea Party, too, but I don't think it's the movie's fault, you know? 
has nothing to do with the movie. How could it? I mean, you know, it's just so obvious. How could it? Even I don't even see it's not related in any way. It, it, uh, it's 40 years ago, and um, Sarah Palin and Chinnery are nothing alike. I just, there's nothing like, there's nothing at all alike about them. But then, you know, after, after that review, then Ebert did something very unusual. He wrote a big, long response to O'Hare, where he said, you know, basically he's lost his mind and he's a good critic and maybe someday, you know, he'll get back to being a good critic. <laughs> and then <laughs> after that, O'Hare then responded back to Ebert saying, you know, dude, I was just kidding. <laughs> I think there was definitely when I read the review myself, I I tweeted it cause I, just because I thought it was funny. I thought he was taking a few vague points and then kind of running with them in a humorous way. I didn't I didn't really quite take the whole review seriously. In fact, I I almost got the impression that he kind of liked the movie, even though there was some potentially creepy subtext going on. Yeah, he says in the beginning, just like Manola Dargis does, that it's really hard not to like the movie. You know. Um, which is true about it. I mean, you really have to be uh, very much an unfeeling person to sit there and not respond to the movie. You just I think I said, I'm sorry, I, I said before, I've, I've been thinking this all day, I think that some people, some critics are almost embarrassed and ashamed that they like the movie, and so they have to find some way to be ironic about it. You know, they can't take, they don't want to take it seriously. It got to them, but they don't want to admit that it got to them. They want to intellectually candy coat it so that they can enjoy it and still be smart. I don't know if Stephanie Zakarek has gotten a hold of it yet, but I'm sure she's going to rip it to shreds. Um, I don't know. I think that they're being really unfair to the to Peggy Chenery, Penny Chenery and to Diane Lane. I mean, this, this is not a complicated woman. She's just a smart woman who knew what to do and how to get a racehorse to run and win, you know? So big deal. So she was really good at her job. How does that make her Sarah Palin? I mean, what is Sarah Palin good at? What has she ever done that's good? I mean, she's completely hysterical. She's all over the place. She doesn't focus her energy the way Penny Chenery did, you know? The only similarity you can draw is that she was a Republican. That's it, you know? It's so shallow uh, and so thin, such a thin connection. Uh, Chinnery is very smart. Everything that comes out of her, her mouth is, 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 is uh, it's good common sense. Sarah Palin is the opposite of common sense. So anyway, that's that. But it was funny to see two critics fighting. Um, they weren't really fighting. They were debating. You could tell that it never really got personal so much. Um, no, they're both classier than that. They're both classier than that. They're both big thinkers. And I think that Ebert, you know, knows Bill William Knack, and I think that he um, felt he needed to stand up for his friend. But I also think he thought that the review was out, way out of line. And um, I thought it was out of line, but I thought it was really done for humor's sake. Like, I didn't think he'd take it that seriously. Cause I thought right. That it, they, it, 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 wasn't a, it wasn't a lefty tirade, necessarily. It was just kind of a kind of a snarky sort of half appreciation, half mocking of the movie. Yeah. So I saw a conviction on Wednesday. Um, it's been talked up, I think, in the past as a possible um, Oscar candidate. Um, I think it might be performance-wise. I'm not sure about in terms of the overall picture. Um, basically, if you haven't heard the story, it tells the true story of um, a woman named Betty Ann Waters, who's um, in the movie she's played by Hilary Swank, and her brother, um, played by Sam Rockwell, is um, convicted of a murder and sent to jail, and she's a high school dropout, and she resolves to get her GED, and she goes to law school in order to become a lawyer so that she can get her brother out of jail. Um, and he's in for basically 18 years, and it ends up going on down the line to um, Barry Sheck, who is the, the, was one of the OJ um, lawyers and is right. now runs the Innocence Project, getting people out of jail um, on DNA evidence. So that's the basic story. Um, there's a lot more to it than that, and it kind of felt like the filmmakers were a little bit too attached to this, this remarkable true story, and they tried to cram in every one of the highlights of the things that happened over the course of like 20 years. And so it comes across as, as more like, um, um, more of a sketch. It doesn't, it, it doesn't have quite the, the gravity or the emotional feeling that you would hope, um, behind it. 
but the um, the performances are excellent. Um, Hilary Swank gets to be kind of a punching bag these days. I think after her two Oscar nominations, people seem to there, there seems to be a, a core of people who like to make fun of her. I don't really have a problem with her, but she didn't really bring anything new that we haven't seen from her before. Um, still excellent, and um, but the standout was Sam Rockwell, who should have an Oscar by now and doesn't. Um, I like to think that this will be enough to get him the attention again this year but um it, it's hard to say but he's definitely deserving um the guy's turned in a, a body of work over the last 10 or 15 years it's outstanding and yet a lot of people still don't even know who he is so um hopefully this will get him a little bit more attention and i know um the night that i saw the screening um there was a whole larry king episode about this whole story that, uh, that um hillary swank was on and the real Betty Ann Waters and Sam Rockwell. So maybe if they can tie it into the whole um, justice issue, um, they can ride it a little bit. But in terms of placing him in the best actor race this year, um, if we think of the five as being Colin Firth, um, James Franco, and... Oh, the other actors? Yeah, that um, are in the top five in our poll, for instance, the one you put up. Yeah, yeah, let's take a look five. at the poll real quick I think it's, 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 yeah. it's um, I mean like Colin Firth, James Franco, Jesse Eisenberg, Jeff Bridges, Ryan Gosling, and DiCaprio is six right now. Right. So it's hard for me to imagine Sam Rockwell sneaking in there. I don't even think he'd be. I mean, how do you crack what? those five? Unless Jeff Bridges doesn't turn in a good performance. And if he's out, um, Ryan Gosling, there's uh, Sean Penn for Fair Game, maybe. There's Mark Wahlberg for The Fighter coming up. I mean, it's just a really crowded field. And what I found with Best Actor is that if, if they really like the movie or they really like the performance, the performance can get in even if they don't like the movie. But if it's not a great performance, like Career Best, there's it has no chance unless they like the movie. You know. How about this, Greg? Do you think it might be a supporting? Could it? Could it? Could they go for supporting for Rockwell? Um, yeah, I think they could, they could justify that. It's a bit of a stretch, but I think it, 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 I think definitely. So I saw a conviction on Wednesday. Um, it's been talked up, I think in the past as a possible, um, Oscar candidate. Um, I think it might be performance wise. I'm not sure about in terms of the overall picture. Um, basically if you haven't, Heard the story. It tells the true story of um, a woman named Betty Ann Waters, who's um, in the movie she's played by Hilary Swank, and her brother, um, played by Sam Rockwell, is um, convicted of a murder and sent to jail. And she's a high school dropout, and she resolves to get her GED and she goes to law school in order to become a lawyer so that she can get her brother out of jail. Um, and he's in for basically 18 years, and it ends up going on down the line to um, Barry Sheck, who is the, the, was one of the OJ um, lawyers and is right. now runs the Innocence Project, getting people out of jail um, on DNA evidence. So that's the basic story. Um, there's a lot more to it than that, and it kind of felt like the filmmakers were a little bit too attached to this, this remarkable true story, and they tried to cram in every one of the highlights of the things that happened over the course of like 20 years. And so it comes across as, as more like, um, um, more of a sketch. It doesn't, it, it doesn't have quite the, um, the gravity or the emotional feeling that you would hope, um, behind it. But the, um, the performances are excellent. Um, Hillary Swank gets to be kind of a punching bag these days. I think after her two Oscar nominations, people seem to, there, there seems to be a, a core of people who like to make fun of her. I don't really have a problem with her, but she didn't really bring anything new that we haven't seen from her before. Um, still excellent. And, um, but the standout was Sam Rockwell, who should have an Oscar by now and doesn't. Um, I like to think that this will be enough to get him the attention again this year, but um, it, it's hard to say, but he's definitely deserving. Um, the guy's turned in a... a body of work over the last 10 or 15 years it's outstanding and yet a lot of people still don't even know who he is so um hopefully this will get him a little bit more attention and i know um the night that i saw the screening um there was a whole larry king episode about this whole story that, uh, that um hillary swank was on and the real betty ann waters and sam rockwell so maybe if they can tie it into the whole um 
justice issue, um, they can ride it a little bit. But in terms of placing him in the best actor race this year, um, if we think of the five as being Colin Firth, um, James Franco, and... Oh, the other actors? Yeah, that um, are in the top five in our poll, for instance, the one you put up. Yeah, yeah, let's take a look five. at the poll real quick I think here. it's... it's, yeah. it's um, I mean, like, Colin Firth, James Franco, Jesse Eisenberg, Jeff Bridges, Ryan Gosling, and DiCaprio is six right now. Right. So it's hard for me to imagine Sam Rockwell sneaking in there. I don't even think he'd be... I mean, how do you crack but, those five? Unless Jeff Bridges doesn't turn in a good performance. And if he's out, um, Ryan Gosling, there's... Uh, Sean Penn for Fair Game, maybe. There's Mark Wahlberg for The Fighter coming up. I mean, it's just a really crowded field. And what I found with Best Actor is that if, if they really like the movie or they really like the performance, the performance can get in even if they don't like the movie. But if it's not a great performance, like Career Best, there's it has no chance unless they like the movie. You know. How about this, Greg? Do you think it might be a supporting? Could it? Could it? Could they go for supporting for Rockwell? Um. Yeah, I think they could. They could justify that. It's a bit of a stretch, but I think it. 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 it I think definitely. Hmm. Okay. Well, that sounds good. So thanks for the update. Well, um, Craig and I are going to see Fair Game on Monday, so we'll have for our next podcast. We'll be able to talk a little bit about that. Didn't you already see that at Cannes? Why did I think you'd seen it? Already? I know you asked me that, but um, but no. I uh, I didn't. It played there, I, right? It did, but it played the day after I left. Since I oh. was, it was my first time. I didn't realize that um, uh, I needed to stay on the last day, and I and they didn't put out the release that it was coming, you know, um, on that last day. So I didn't make arrangements to stay, and I had to leave. And and that is all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to the Three Way Movie Gasm podcast. My name is Sasha Stone, and you can read more on awardsdaily.com, and you can find Craig Kennedy at livinginsinema.com. Thanks for listening.